Um, I thought it was just, it's just such a moving moment when you're seeing people who are uh, just living testimonies of what Jesus has done in their lives. It's just amazing, it's wonderful. We're uh, continuing, uh, this morning if you're here for the first time, this is week three out of five in our series on Jonah, about God's heart for the city, uh, for uh, this city, in fact for all cities, and it's, it's not just that it's about cities, it's about where people live. God is interested and God's heart is for people, it's for groups of people, it's for individuals. And if you're here for the first time today, if you've just come visiting with a friend, you don't normally go to church, God's heart is for you. And so I believe God wants, has got something he wants to say to you today. And uh, the title of this morning's talk is A Miracle of Grace. A Miracle of Grace. And uh, it's the, the miracle of grace that Jesus brings about and ch- uh, that change that he brings in our lives. So we're going to be reading from Jonah, uh, the end of Jonah chapter 1 through to uh, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. So we're going to read that together. The words will come up on the screen behind me. So you don't need to turn to your Bibles if you don't want to. But if you do, then it's Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. This is what it says. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You remember the story. So now Jonah has, God has told Jonah uh, that he wants him to go to Nineveh, uh, the capital of the uh, Assyrian Empire. And he wants him to go and preach to them and tell them that uh, uh, he's uh, fed up with their rebellion, their sin, the way they're living, and that he's going to judge them. And uh, Jonah, when Jonah gets the message, he, he hears that and he runs away. Instead of going where God wants him to go, he gets on the first boat in the opposite direction and he heads for a place called Tarshish. And uh, the boat uh, hits trouble. God sends a storm. There's this terrible storm. The boat's about to be lost. The men on the boat uh, are, uh, are distraught. They're wondering what's going on. Um, they realise that there's something untoward happening. And uh, they find out that, it's, uh, that Jonah's running away from God. And uh, Jonah's solution is, uh, the only way out of this is to throw me into the sea. And so that's what the men on the boat do. They throw him eventually over the side, and it says the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called out for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, the seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation 
comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry ground, dry land. You know, we've been unpacking the message of the book of Jonah. There may only be 44 verses, but it has much to say to us today. We've seen God's great heart of compassion for the city of Nineveh. We've considered that God, who is great, completely just, and yet at the same time full of grace and mercy, demonstrates this justice and this mercy to the Ninevites, who actually can't tell their right hand from their left hand, we're told, in chapter 4, verse 11. And Jonah is God's chosen messenger, shockingly flawed and foolish. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? He is the classic, uh, archetypal, biblical anti-hero. I mean, he, God tells him to go in one direction and he goes in the other. We saw how, despite Jonah's disobedience, God is still in control. It was God who sent the storm, and it was God who sent the fish. You know, the, the book of Jonah is full of ironic humour. How ironic that God's man, God's prophet, is disobedient and goes in the opposite direction uh, when God tells him to go somewhere. And yet the fish, the great fish, obeys God and does what God wants it to do. You may be running off this morning, doing your own thing, living your own way, ignoring God, but I want to tell you this morning, God is not indifferent and God is not inactive. He will not give up on you. There was a poem written by someone called Francis Thompson, um, and it was written at the turn of the, the last century. And it was about a man who was running away from God, and this was Francis Thompson himself. And uh, part of the poem says this, just want you to listen to this, this is a man who's running away from God. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind, and in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And Francis Thompson's poem unfolds and it tells of a man who's running from God and the poem's called The Hound of Heaven. And uh, uh, Thompson, during, through the poem, tells this story of his life as God is, it's as though God is hounding him and chasing him and won't let him go. And eventually, uh, God catches up with him and deals with him and uh, he encounters the living God. You may be here this morning running from God. Let me say, God loves you. And he is pursuing you with his heart of compassion because he loves you. When we read the New Testament, we read about Jesus speaking about Jonah. And Jesus says that Jonah is a sign to us. Now, I don't know if you've... Uh, ever seen uh, uh, this picture? It was in the, the paper a few weeks ago. It's a road sign. And it's a road sign from Swansea. I'm from Swansea, so it intrigued me. And uh, the sign is in English and in Welsh. In Welsh, you get uh, signs saying both things. So the sign says no entry for heavy good vehicles, 
residential site only. It's a, it's a sign in Morriston in uh, North Swansea. And underneath is the Welsh, or you'd think so. But actually, what happened was this. Uh, when uh, the people who didn't speak Welsh were producing the sign, they sent off the English words they wanted translated, and uh, they sent them to this company, and they got this message back in Welsh. So presuming those were the words of the translation, they put them on the sign, and that's the sign there. Actually, what the message, the text message they got back said was this. I'm not in the office at the moment. (laughs) Send any work to be translated. I mean, basically, they didn't know what they were doing. So the sign is absolutely uh, foolish and meaningless if you're a Welsh speaker and you only speak Welsh. I had a friend once who was in uh, North Wales, I used to work with him, and uh, he was on holiday for two weeks in North Wales, and uh, he came back and he, he told us a story, and he said what happened was as he was travelling through North Wales, he saw this sign, and he thought, that looks like a, a place, a really nice village, it conjured up in his mind uh, a really uh, 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 attractive thoughts, and he thought this would be a really pretty place, I'm sure. So he spent two weeks trying to find this place, only to find at the end of the holiday he'd spent two weeks trying to find a place called Mud on the Road. You see, these so-called, the so-called religious leaders of Jesus' day were asking him to give them a miraculous sign. And Jesus' response was forthright and left them scratching their heads. And this is what he said. Only an evil, faithless generation would ask for a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so I, the Son of Man, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will rise up against this generation on the judgment day and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here, and you refuse to repent. Jesus said, you'll have a sign, but it won't be what you think it is. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights, so the Son of Man, me, Jesus, will be in the ground for three days and three nights. That was the sign Whatever you do, don't misunderstand or misread this sign. Jonah is a miraculous sign to us because just as he spent three days and nights inside the belly of the great fish, Jesus spent three days buried in a tomb after dying on the cross for our sin. Just as Jonah was delivered from his watery grave, Jesus was raised to life on the third day. The story of Jonah is therefore a foreshadowing of what would happen when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again from the dead. Just as Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh, Jesus is a sign for us today. And that explains why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said in John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus said, I am the sign. I am the way. You won't uh, get to know God unless you come through me. And what we have seen happen here this morning as these two people have been baptised, it's as a result of Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross. 
And so as Dave explained from that passage in Romans chapter 6, what happened was as they went into the water, it was symbolic of Jesus dying on the cross and being buried in the ground. And so when they went into the water and went under the water, they were associating, they were saying, Jesus, I believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me. When he died for my wrong, uh, when he died on the cross, he died for my wrongdoing, what the Bible calls sin. And so when they went under the water, they were saying, I believe Jesus took my wrongdoing away. That everything that stands in the courts of heaven against me, everything, all my wrongdoing is wiped away. And when they came out of the water, they, was, they were effect, in fact saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that the tomb couldn't hold him. And three days later, after being, dying on a cross, he rose from the dead and my sin is dealt with. My chains are gone. They've, they've gone. I'm free. I am a free person to come into God's presence and stand before him because of what Jesus has done. And so that this, what we have seen this morning, is a sign. This is the miracle of grace. This miracle of grace has happened in these two people's lives as it's happened in many of your lives here this morning. It's a miracle that it could ever happen. That we could be right with God. That people like us could have a relationship with a God who paints the skies. The God who threw the stars into space. We can have a relationship with him because of what Jesus did. That is a miracle. That's why we're singing and we're joyful this morning. If you're coming in wondering why these people seem incredibly happy, what has gone on? Have they taken happy pills this morning? No, it's got nothing to do with that. We are astounded every day. That we can have a relationship with the living God. And it's because of Jesus. We are miracles of grace. We are miracles of grace. And I want us, as we look uh, through what happens to Jonah, and as we look at this story, as we unpack this a little bit, this chapter this morning, I want us to, to see how this miracle of grace takes place. And the first thing I want you to see is that it is all about calling out to the right person. It's all about calling out to the right person. I don't know if you've uh, seen that advert for Vodafone. It's actually, I, I, I really like this advert. It, it, it just, I find it quite moving. And uh, you see this guy, he's, uh, he's at a meal, uh, he's just about to get an award uh, for something or other, businessman of the year or whatever it is, and uh, he gets a phone call on his mobile. And uh, it's his daughter. And uh, the picture pans away and you see the daughter, she's in a car. It's raining. It's dark. She's at the side of the road and she's weeping. And she just says, Dad, Dad, he's left me. She's broken. And this father, about to receive this word, he said, I'll be with you now. Puts his phone down and says, I've got to go. Something important's come up. And he goes off, gets in a taxi, and he gets a taxi to his daughter. And he gets uh, into the car with her, and uh, she's, she's weeping. She's saying, oh, Daddy's gone, he's left me. And he puts his arms around her, really, really moving. And she says, you weren't doing anything important. And he said, no, I was just, I was just stacking the dishwasher. How... She called out. She knew who to call to. She knew where to turn, where her life, the bottom fell out of her life. She knew where to run. She knew that her father 
would come running for, for her. I just find that so moving because I, I just feel like there's something in it that just reminds me of the, my Father in Heaven who loves me so much that when I'm in trouble He comes running to me to put down anything. Nothing's too much for me. He's never too busy for me. This is what Rosemary Nixon says in the message of Jonah. The Lord does not usually protect us from the consequences of our own choices and actions. In his faithfulness and graciousness towards us, God comes to us, comes with us into the consequences of our choices in order to save us there. Jonah had chosen the sea as his escape route. It's there that the Lord awaits him. It's imperative, if you're going to cry out for help, that you call to the right person. I mean, if you're struggling doing DIY and you call me, you have called the wrong person to come and help you. We're really in trouble. If you're phoning me up with a DIY problem, okay, you are really, really in problems. If you thought it was bad at that moment, it's going to get far worse. I'm the wrong person to call. You see, Jonah eventually called to the right person. Prayer is Jonah's last hope. There is nothing else he can do. There are no more options for Jonah. The Gospel of Mark tells us the story of a blind man called Bartimaeus. He's on the side of the road in Mark chapter 10. And uh, we see that the story pans and uh, uh, away from Bartimaeus and he hears that Jesus is in town. Jesus is walking through. And Bartimaeus knows, there's something in him he knows, that this person can help him. He's in real trouble, but Jesus can help him. And Bartimaeus starts to shout out. He starts to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him are going, shh, shh, be quiet. Shut up, Bartimaeus. We don't want you shouting out. And when he hears that, he just shouts out all the loud, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And eventually, Jesus hears his cry and stops. Jesus stops at a blind man's cry and he comes to him and then the miracle happens. God opens his eyes. This man is set free because Jesus stopped and heard his cry. Let me encourage you this morning. Cry out to Jesus. Don't let him pass you by this morning. If you call to him today, he will stop for you. I want us, there's a few things I want us to note about Jonah praying. I want us to note where Jonah prayed. I mean, Jonah prayed in the belly of a big fish. The situation he found himself in was all of his own making. There was no one else to blame. And yet God still hears his prayer. There is no situation that is too bleak for God. There is no situation that is so dark that God can't break in and help you. Whatever you are facing today, there's nowhere where you can't cry out for God and He won't hear you. Nowhere. You may be in the pits of depression. You may be struggling 
in the most dreadful financial situation. You may be wondering, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. You may be here this morning thinking I'm pregnant and nobody else knows about it. There is no way out for me. I'm lost. There is nowhere where you can't cry out to God and He won't hear you. Hallelujah. There's nowhere that He won't hear you. I remember Annette was uh, driving to see her sister in Crouch End. And uh, she'd, uh, she'd not driven there before, she was nervous about going, she, I wasn't going with her, she, she drives there, she had a direction, she's on the M25, and basically Crouch End is down the M40. So you go off the M25, down the M40, and she went down the M40, and she'd been gone about half an hour, and she suddenly notices that it's getting greener and greener and greener, and there's less and less houses, and she suddenly realises she's going the wrong way, she's lost and she doesn't know where she is. So she pulls off the side of the road, she is probably now about 25 minutes, 25 miles rather, from Crouch End. She's way outside the M25 and she stops at this pub and she just cried, she didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to get there. And she just, I just remember saying, she said, I just cried out to God. I said, God, please come and help me, I am lost, I don't know what to do. She's on her own and... Um, she sees this guy in a van and she notices him and she just goes up to him and she says, look, I don't know whether you can help me, but I'm lost. And this guy says, well, where do you want to go? He says, she said, I need to get to Crouch End. And he says, Crouch End, where do you want to go in Crouch End? She tells him the road. He said, I'm going down that road. She said, follow me. She followed him for uh, however long it was, 40 minutes or whatever. He drives down the end, he drove past her sister's house. And then, literally, the next minute, he, she said, he, it was just that like he disappeared, he'd gone. She cried out to God. How amazing! God is interested in your circumstances. He knows how bleak and black it is. He is the God who can do anything. God can break through for you. Notice when Jonah prayed. Jonah was at death's door. I mean, he'd had plenty of opportunities to pray on the boat. Instead, he'd chosen to have 40 winks and preferred to be thrown overboard than to call out to God. Yet at the last, he turns to the only one who can help him. He's at death's door and he calls out to God. Why is prayer the last thing we do? I mean, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but I find myself so often in a tough situation, then I, I think, oh, perhaps I ought to pray. It's the last thing I think sometimes. Why is it? Why do we do that? Why isn't it the first thing we think? But like Jonah, we're too often like Jonah. It's the last thing that we do. Jonah cries out in verse 2, it says, In my distress... I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. It's never too late. The story of the thief on the cross, hanging next to Jesus, his life about to expire and he turns to Jesus. He'd been ridiculing him a few hours earlier. And he turns to me and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. At the last, he cried out to God, and he was saved. At the last. 
Let's, but let's not take those, that example as an excuse for leaving it and leaving it. You know, you may be in a desperate state, cry out to God. It may, you may feel it's the end, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's never too late. Cry out to God today. Notice who Jonah prayed to. You know, if you're in financial trouble, praying to the Bank of England isn't going to help you. If you're in emotional difficulties, praying to the health trust isn't going to get you out of that situation. They may be able to help, they'll be able to give you medical help and whatever. The one who you can, can help you is God, the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. Cry out to him. You see, to pray is to admit that another reality, one which is distinct from our own existence, that's what Rosemary Nixon tells us, is to admit that there is a God in heaven. Jonah, in his distress, called out to the Lord. As he was in the belly of the fish, he acknowledged that it was God who could save him. You can pray to whoever you want, whoever you like, but it's only God who can save. If you need, if you know that you need help today, whether it be emotional, physical, practical or spiritual, then let me encourage you, call out to God. We, saw, we see who Jonah prayed to, but we also see what Jonah prayed. I mean, what he prayed was both simple and yet profound. He called for help. It's not, you know, it's not the quality of the words that counts. God isn't going to be marking your prayer. Four out of ten could try harder. Sounds like one of my old school reports. In fact, I've probably been quite pleased with that, actually. You see, God isn't like that. There's something in us that, that in, in our human nature, that stops us calling out to God. It, the Bible calls it pride. At the last, Jonah humbles himself and calls out to God. To genuinely praise, to recognise that we're not the most important person in the world... And to acknowledge that God is God and that it's his world and we're totally dependent on him and his grace and his mercy. Genuine, heartfelt prayer is a sign of humility. Jesus tells a story of two men in uh, Luke chapter 18 who come to Jesus. One of them is a Pharisee, a religious man, and he stands and he prays and he says, Oh God, I thank you, Father, that you're... I'm not uh, like other men. I thank you that I do all of this. I give regularly and I'm, uh, I, I do the right thing. I thank you that I'm not like this horrible little uh, tax collector over there. And then the tax collector, by comparison, he is over here and he's on his face. He's kind of, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have let you down so much. And Jesus says, the Pharisee, didn't do business with God. It was the tax collector, the heartfelt, humble crying out to God that did business with God. God's not interested in the quality of your words, in your theological understanding. He is interested in you crying out from your heart and trusting him. The miracle of grace happened because Jonah called out to the right person. The second thing, 
was that Jonah was clinging to the right thing at the end. In Jonah chapter 2 verse 8, Jonah makes the following comment. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What on earth is Jonah talking about? What on earth does that mean? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Sounds like a riddle. I was um, reading a newspaper article uh, recently, it's in the Telegraph, and it was of a hotel handyman who uh, had been doing some work to a tree, I don't know if you uh, saw the article, and uh, basically what he did, he cut off, he was lopping a branch and he cut off this branch, unfortunately it was, uh, his ladder was leaning against the bit of the branch he cut off. And so he fell, broke his heel, damaged his ligaments, and was a number of days in hospital. And then he sued his employer. And uh, it says uh, in the article um, that, uh, that when they found the employer guilty, that the employer should have given him training on where to place the ladder. I just, I just thought that just tickled me, that did. Gave him training on where to place the ladder. I mean, how stupid do you have to be? The reality was, the issue was, he was leaning on the wrong thing. He was leaning on the wrong thing. We live in a world where people cling and rely on the wrong things. They rely on things that actually can't help them. They rely on Icelandic bank accounts. They rely on academic qualifications. They have attitudes and views about themselves which they build their lives upon. People build their lives on the wrong things. They hold on to the wrong things. They cling to the wrong things. And interestingly, Jonah has come in the belly of the fish at his lowest point. He has come to realise that he'd been clinging on to the wrong things. He'd been, some of his attitudes were absolutely stinking. He comes to realise he'd been holding on to the wrong things. He had a very high view of himself and a very low view of God. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you clinging to the right things? You see, what we see in this passage is that idols are worthless. Those who cling to worthless idols. What does that mean? Well, there's a passage in Jeremiah which gives us a little light. Jeremiah is an Old Testament book, an Old Testament prophet. And in the second chapter of Jeremiah it says this. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You see, an idol is something that you put, uh, is anything that you put before the worship of God. It can be a problem if you're a Christian here this morning, and it can be a problem, it's a problem for those who aren't believers. You see, Jonah's heart was full of idols, full of fears and prejudices, wrong ways of thinking, and they were far more important to him than his relationship with God. And so he runs away. And if you're running away from God this morning, I want to tell you, the Bible says there are idols in your heart. There are things in your heart that you are more important to you than God. But you need to know idols are worthless. 
Your idol may be your family, it may be your partner, it may be your children, it may be your job, it may be the home you live in, it may be your appearance. Some people are so locked into their appearance and what they look like and, uh, and you know, you see a society driven by appearances. People, as they're getting older, having to have uh, uh, cosmetic surgery. And inside, deep down, their idol is what they look like. That's more important to them than anything else. God wants to have first place in our affections. And the sad thing is that these other things are going to let us down. Our money won't be able to buy our health. Our looks are going to disappear. Uh, There's going to come a point in our career where uh, uh, the the place where we work actually won't need us anymore. Relying on those things is not solid ground on which to stand. Idols are worthless. But you see, all of us cling to idols. All of us cling to them. When Paul was visiting Athens, he saw that the city was full of idols, it tells us in Acts chapter 17 verse 16. If Paul was in Winchester today, he would say the same thing. This city is full of idols. People's lives are full of things that are more important to them than God. Most people don't give God a second thought. They give their time, attention and ultimately their worship to things other than the living God. Imagine how God feels about that. The people he created, the people he formed, the people he breathed life into... They're not interested in, they're far more interested in stuff than they are in a relationship with him. Paul says of such people in Romans chapter 1 this, that such people knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere men, or birds and animals and snakes. What are you clinging to this morning? What is it that's more important to you than anything else this morning? You see, clinging to idols stops us clinging to God. I don't know if you've seen that scene in the end of Lord of the Rings when Gollum, who's desperate to get this ring back, this thing that's more precious to him than anything else, his idol, the thing that uh, is more important to him, and uh, at the end, uh, he's fighting with uh, Frodo just to try and get this back, this thing that's more precious to him, and he grabs it, and as he has it at the end, he falls to his doom and destruction. And as he's falling, he's just looking. You see him falling backwards, looking, holding. All he's, he's just taken up with this thing that's his idol, this ring. And you see him and he, he, he disappears into the lava flow inside Mount Doom and disappears, clinging to a foolish idol to the moment of his death. You see, clinging to idols stops us clinging to God. You see, when we cling to idols, we forfeit the grace that could be ours. You see, when we cling to those things, we're unable, when they are more important to us than anything else, whatever it is, we're unable to receive the free and merited favour of God. God wants us to be people who let go of idols and receive grace 
from God, appropriate grace into our lives. The testimony of these two people this morning is that they want to let go of that stuff. They don't want to have idols in their hearts. They want to be people who live for God and receive grace from God. You see, Paul, when he writes to the believers in Thessalonica, he says this, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We need to turn away from idols to serve the living and true God. Finally, to experience a miracle of grace, we need to be committed to walking the right path, to going down the right path. I remember years ago, on uh, Swansea Bay, I was trying to get to Mumbles from one side of Swansea Bay to the other. And Swansea Bay is a big sweep. And uh, as I uh, was walking with a friend of mine called Alan, and we decided, looking across the bay, the tide was out. It was a beautiful sight. The sand was starting to dry. We decided that we'd cut across the bay to walk to Mumbles. We were going to the pier, Mumbles Pier. And uh, so we started walking. We started this beautiful, thought we'd save ourselves about 45 minutes. It wasn't long before we ended up in mud. I was in, I was in mud or whatever was in Swansea Bay at the time. Actually, Swansea Bay at the time was one of the most polluted bays in Britain. And I was down, I, we were like that in mud. And we just got caught. We were in terrible trouble. In the end, we had to, we got out, we managed to get inside. I was covered in this stuff. Just thought I was taking a shortcut. Looked like an easy path. Looked like I could, uh, it was an easy way uh, for us to get across and ended up in real trouble. You know, we need to be people. You need to commit to the right path. There is only one way. Jesus says there's only one way to get right with God. We opened up with Jonah running in the opposite direction, going the wrong way. Wrong way, the, uh, uh, the opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. But Jonah eventually comes to incentives and he says this, But I will offer sacrifices to you, that's to God, with songs of praise, and I will fulfil all my vows. And finally we see two things here which have changed in Jonah's life. First of all we see a commitment to come to God and worship him. He's in the belly of the fish and he says, okay God I'm in this terrible situation but actually in the midst of this dreadful situation I choose to worship you. However bad your situation is this morning, however bleak it is, however dark it may feel, may feel there's no way out, I want to say the way out, the first thing you need to do is to choose to worship God. The second thing that Jonah did, he made a commitment to go God's way. He said, I will fulfill all my vows. He said, I will do it. You wanted me to do that, I'm going to do that. You may be here this morning, you're thinking, well, what's going God's way going to mean for me? Well, it's going to mean leaving a lot of that stuff behind. Actually, God, I commit myself, I'm going to do that. I'm going to worship you and I'm going to leave that stuff behind and I'm going to go your way. Jonah made a commitment to go God's way. You see, the conclusion of this remarkable incident is clear and unequivocal. It's only God who saves God met Jonah when things could not have been any worse. It didn't need to come to that point. God would have met Jonah much earlier if only he'd cried out to him. This story could have ended on the boat. 
before Jonah was thrown overboard. But Jonah's proud, stubborn heart wouldn't repent. Will you call out to God today? Maybe you're a Christian here and you've just been struggling for months, maybe years. Maybe you feel that you're just in a, you just don't know the way out now. Maybe you're depressed, you're struggling with depression and uh, you don't know what to do. Let me encourage you to come to God this morning and call out to him. Come and call out to him. You will get the best medical help, I'm sure. But actually, the one who sets us free from chains is the living God. You may get lots of medical help to help you along the way, but it is God you need to turn to and cry out to, first and foremost, before you do anything else. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. You come for the first time and you're thinking... I don't know what this is, you know, in your life things are a bit difficult and you've just been wondering, shall I, shall I trust God? Don't be like Jonah. Don't be stubborn and like Jonah and just think, well, I'm just going to keep going my way. Don't wait till the storm comes. Don't wait till they've got to offload on the boat. Don't wait till moments like that. Don't wait till you're in the belly of the fish. This morning, let me urge you with all the care and concern that I can, Respond to God this morning. Give your life to him. All too often we're going to finish with this story. We're like the man who falls off a cliff and he's hanging on the side of this cliff face. He's just holding on and there's a bush and he's just on the bush. He can see the bushes starting to pull away from the earth and he looks down and he looks down below and there's the sea and there's these sharp rocks 50, 60 feet below and uh, he looks up and he, can see, he knows he can't climb up. There's no way up. It's a sheer face. He's 20 feet down. And he's thinking, I'm finishing. He cries out. He cries out, is there anybody there to help me? Please help me. Save me. And then eventually he hears a voice. He says, the voice says, I'm here. And he says, who is it? He says, it's, it's God. He says, save me. What do you want me to do? He says, let go. And then he says this, is there anyone else there? Because letting go, it just seems the foolish thing to do. But in the purposes of God, it's the right thing to do. To trust him and trust God.